Hi, it's Jasmine. You know, that girl who did you know what way before the internet ever existed. Join me and my special guest every week as we talk about anything and everything because nothing is too taboo. So punch your ticket and get on board the crazy train with me, Jasmine Saint Clair. All aboard! My next guest is kind of in a league of his own. When I first met him, I was a guest on his MMA roasted podcast, and most of the time when I meet people that have a crossover of comedy and something else, it's usually comedy and wrestling. But however, his crossover is MMA. So let's welcome Mr. Adam Hunter. But yes, thank you so much. For joining me today, Adam. I know that you're very busy with a lot of things. What's your fascination with MMA? Um, well, I I was a big wrestler in high school. Like my that was my whole life. My whole life was wrestling. I won the New England's four times in a row, and I just was like went to every wrestling camp, Dan Gable's wrestling camp, and wrestled in college. And it didn't go as well as like I kind of got burned out. Like quit wrestling. I was, I was losing like. 18 pounds a week. So I just was doing it all wrong. Um, this is a long time ago. Uh, but I just was like always, you know, into the sport of wrestling. And then I was coaching out here. I, I still coach in um, Brentwood, California. I coach a, a middle school team, a charter school. And then uh, I just started um, watching res- watching MMA because there's so much of a wrestling element of it. Like, like there was never, when I was growing up, you could go to the Olympics or like that was it. There was no professional wrestling league. And then I started, I started MMA because like, you know, 90% of the champions or the, are people that wrestled in high school and college. So it was something that I enjoyed. And then um, as far as like the comedy behind it, I was writing, I was on tour with this guy, John Heffron, who won last comic standing and he got tapped to host the MMA awards. So he hired me to, to write some sketches for him and the sketches kind of went viral. They were really, really funny sketches. And then I ran into Dana White at a casino and I was like talking to him about how I do comedy and how I wrote these sketches and we hit it off. He was a really nice guy. He came, he came to my, actually he didn't come to my show. I invited him, but he actually told the security guard to let me know he, he couldn't make it like the next night. Like, Hey, Dana wanted to let you know. He was really nice that he like went out of his way to like call and tell me he couldn't make it. Um, but then Dana, I pitched him a, a show idea which he didn't like, but he like he then hired me to uh, to he was like I want to do like a Tosh type of thing where we break down the the week events, you know, and uh, I want you to be the, our our guy. So for like four years, I did a thing called MMA Roasted, where I would like roast fighters and like, hey, this week this you know this is coming up, and this is what happened, and and they did pretty well. And then my but then I I would write a hundred jokes, so I always like overwrite everything, and then I could only use like ten of them. So like 90 of those jokes I just put on Twitter and then my Twitter account blew up to the point where it was like, it's up to like over a hundred thousand now. Um, and then that job led me to a job at Fox sports where I would pretend I was fighters texting each other called text from last fight. And during the fight, I would pretend I was this guy talking to this guy and I, and I would throw in like Obama, whoever like was the, you know, in, in that kind of, and then, so then, and I, since then, I've been writing, I still been writing the MMA awards. So I wrote like 15 years. I was, I've been the head writer for the MMA awards. And, um, and a lot of the sketches, like 
just blew up, blew up. Like I had Daniel Cormier like singing all about the cake and chicken, and and then I had you know a really good one of you know Kelvin Gastelum doing this, and I had uh, one with uh, Henry Cejudo instead of wet ass pussy. I had cringe ass Henry, and and I write these parody videos and have the fighters do it, and then Bellator hired me to do like the history of Fedor's sweater to write a sketch about that. And then PFL hired me for a couple of years. So it's just been like, I get hired to do these like MMA kind of things. And and then the UFC, Dana called me during the pandemic and he was like, I want to produce your comedy special. Just make sure you have some stuff about MMA. So they turn the, the MMA, uh, they, 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 they turn the Las Vegas, the, the apex into a comedy club. So I, I was the first guy to ever have a comedy special on fight pass. And then that led to we're on UFC comedy jam where I teach fighters how to tell jokes or I, I work with them and I host it. And then they like perform. So we're on UFC comedy jam three is pretty soon that, that that's in Vegas. The two should come out pretty soon. So it's just been like kind of a, that's been like a brief history, like a condensed version of what I've been doing with MMA. That's so interesting because there's so many wrestlers I find like pro wrestlers that, um, they either try to act or like do comedy. Like a lot of them are doing this whole improv comedy thing. They're far and few between that are actually really, really good and talented because timing is everything just like in wrestling. And I'm sure with MMA timing is everything. What's it like trying to teach a bunch of MMA fighters, um, you know, comedic timing with these jokes? Uh, I mean, a lot of it is like, uh, you know, like we kind of, I, I, you know, we, we I, I wouldn't say I, I protect them, but I, the crowd knows this is their first time doing comedy. They know that like, this is not, you're not paying to go see, you know, a prime Carlin or something, you know? So I think, and it's also an MMA based audience. Um, and it's only, they're only doing five, six minutes. And, but a lot of it is like, you know, like I know with like Henry Cejudo, he's like, Hey, this is what I'm going to do. And this is, and I'm like, wait, wait, wait. And he sort of had like an idea of what a comedy, a comic should be. And then I was like, let's just go through your life. And then, you know, he started going through his life, which was like a lot of times really sad and tragic, but like funny. So then I don't know. Here's the joke. Here's the joke. Here's, and we kind of just figure out, like we just carve out there. So it's coming from them. You know, as long as it's coming from you, it's like, it's not really, as long as you're the one telling it and you know when to pause kind of, and like, okay, pause, or she pause here for laughter. That's sort of a, an easier thing. It's not really the timing thing. It's just, but then, you know, I'm surprised like touchy Andre Feely was like, you know, I'm, I want to be offensive. I want to push buttons. I want to do this. And I'm like, Oh no. But uh, he, he was brilliant. He was great. You know, um, I think the, you know, the fighters that care about it, that really care about what they're doing are, are like, are great just because the people that are like, oh, I'll just come in and wing it. And then, and then you get, kind of get an issue because you're like, okay, well, just because you, you know, you're funny in a room doesn't mean you're going to be funny, but I haven't run into that yet. You know, I mean, people that most of the fighters that like, I have to kind of convince to do this or like, Hey, you want to do this? Like, yes. Like, Oh fuck. What am I doing? Um, they're, they're scared of death. They're like they're scared of they're more scared of comedy than they are fighting because they're you know comfortable in fighting, but 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 bombing in front of people is like oh shit you know and, and like six minutes, you know goes or five minutes goes by like this when you're doing well but when you're not doing well five minutes is like you know three hours so um the but you know at the same time 
like like Frankie Edgar said, you know, I woke up today and I knew no matter no matter how bad it went, I wasn't gonna get my ass kicked. So you know, physically. So it's like I'm sure there's, but there's a lot of I think a lot of times you see a lot of fighters go into comedy because number one they are wrestlers because they have an audience, so so they're automatically a draw for the most part, you know. Um, but number two, comedy is one of those things where what drew me to into it, not only because I like making people laugh, but I knew that. I didn't have to depend on anybody else. Like I was just going to be as good as how ever I was going to be because of the effort that I put into it. It's just me. So when you do like an individual sport, like wrestling or tennis or gymnastics, it's really like how hard you work. It's not like, let's say soccer or an improv group, you know, you go like the improv group is as good as the improv group is going to be. And you have to like wait for everyone to kind of get ready and this and that. Um, whereas stand up comedy, if you want to be good, it's, it, it, it it's direct reflection on how hard you try. And I've seen people like start off and they're just horrible. I mean, they, they like, they're like, Oh man, this might be the worst comic I've ever, like, this, this guy's got nothing. And then you see them a year later, you're like, Holy fuck. This is, this person's amazing. This, this guy's really, this is hard to follow. Or this is like legitimately getting big laughs. And then, you know, five years later, you're like, this is because that person like, they they jumped in the pool. They 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 dove into it. You know, yeah. I've also seen people that are like beyond talented day one, and you're like, oh shit, this guy's this guy gonna be a good comic. And then five years later, they're like worse, or they just didn't. It's like there was a comic of the day on stage, and I'm like, man, the, the biggest problem with this comic is he's got too much talent because he doesn't work that hard, and and he's using all these like tricks. And charisma to get over on the crowd, but the jokes are kind of like, mm. like if this person actually had less talent, he'd be a better comic. Which is like fucked up to kind of think about that, but it's like talent. It's a natural talent that's getting in the way of this person being a good comic. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, then I've been to like enough open mics. I don't do comedy, and this is what really I think tees me off the most. Okay. So I watched Undisputed with Mike Tyson. Did you ever see that? Yeah. That's like the best one person show ever because it's so minimal in what's there. Like the juice is the story. So I have a one woman show, but people confuse it with comedy. It's like, no, 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 no. Because if you start telling jokes left and right, people could find things that are comedic that you may not think are necessarily comedic about your life. And that's totally fine because that's what an audience is there for. But I mean, his show, whenever I ever refer to a show that's perfect, it's that show because it's just photos here and there. It's him dressed in like the most simplistic outfit in a ring. And he doesn't have these baubles and boobles and tchotchkes and all this other stuff there. Like some shows I've seen like all kinds of things like a genie bottle of this or that. I'm like, okay, well, this is like more like a magic show or something. But I always look up to that. Now yeah, that was a, that was Spike Lee. He had <laughs> that. Lee, yeah, the first day he had that. He had a karaoke three band. Hours long though, for originally what like the workshop performance was three hours long. Yeah, Spike Lee was like, get rid of this band, get rid of the karaoke, get rid of this, that, get rid of whoever else you have, and it's just you. So that was like the genius of Spike Lee doing that. It's really a scary thing because you're going up there, and I understand like with comics. You know, you don't really have an improv troupe to um, to fall back on. And I'll get back to that in a second because I was part of a troupe before. But 
it's just, it's a whole other thing. And now you have this whole era of like cancel culture, which I'll get to again in a second. But one thing I find the biggest fault with material in people is you have girls that get up there on an open mic. And this isn't every girl, like Vonda Carlo's a genius. I love Aaliyah Janine. Those girls are awesome. But some of them just get up there and do these stupid like rape jokes. And okay, A, if that's happened to you, I'm sure it's not a joke. But B, it's like the jokes are just like over and over. And then when you get guys up there with their dick jokes, like where does this come from? Is that insecurity or just like lack of good material? Or you're just in L.A. and have no fucking clue what you want to do. And you're just trying to stand up. I mean, there's not one answer to that. There's like there's like 10 answers to that. But a lot of that is like, number one, like who you see do well. And then you emulate that, you know. So I think like like Sarah Silverman or somebody like Nikki Glaser, whoever it is probably, or Nick Whitney Cummings is like, a pr- they're pretty girls who go up there who let's say make rape jokes work for them where it's like, you're like, Oh shit, that's, that's a great joke. You know, it's a hilarious joke or, you know, I've seen them do great joke, you know? So then girls are watching that and they're like, Oh shit, I, I can do that. You know? So then they kind of like do like a paint by numbers thing of like, okay, I'm not going to have to go through everything they went to. I'm just going to like, basically to do the end result of that you know so they go up there which that that's one answer you know of just like they it's like just basically just doing the karaoke version of the real artist you know um but then there's another thing of like some girls are in their acting class and then there's 10 acting there's like 10 hot girls in your acting class and they do a scene that's funny the teacher says you ever tried doing stand-up comedy you're really funny you know so then there's like there's there's that right um then there's the you know the, the problem i wouldn't say the problem but it's a lot of times when you get like a really attractive girl doing stand-up comedy it's harder at first because this hot girl goes up on stage and right away like women hate her and guys hate her because the guys are like this is the girl that won't fuck me subconsciously and women are like this is the guy that my guy wants to fuck fuck her you know like or, or or you know what problems does she have you know or yeah right your life is so hard you're a fucking model whatever so right so so to to fight that a lot of times like oh, let me let me let me take the worst possible things people have to laugh oh like i've been raped and blah blah, blah. you're like so it's, you're kind of getting that like and then there's the thing of like bookers a lot of bookers that book comedy rooms like never got a hot chick to like pay attention to them. It's why they got into comedy in the first place, or maybe one of the reasons. And now they have beautiful women showing up or hitting them up. Hey, can I go on your show? And can I go up third? And they're like, sure. I'll fucking sign you up. Go up, you know, because they're just, they think either they're going to get some, like they like the attention or whatever it is. They're just throwing them up. Right. So there's that. But if a, if a, if a beautiful girl can get past like those, those scarecrows right then a lot of times they get like ushered right in because there's just not that many there's let's say there's 100 people in comedy there's like 65 or 70 are going to be like white men and then like you know 35 are going to be you know let's say black people are you know mexican or or whatever right so that and then there's like 15 percent they're going to be women right but of that 50%, there's going to be 3% are going to be hot women, right? There's not going to be that many hot ones. So then those ones, the industry are going to be like, oh, shit, you know, you're the next host on Talk Soup or you're the next host. So they're going to they're gonna fast track them to a certain 
thing where now all of a sudden they're getting put in situations where they're at the comedy cellar or they're at like this, they're at this big comedy clubs, but they haven't earned their stripes. And then now they need writers. So because they haven't done the Dave Attell route, they're up there with Dave Attell, but Dave Attell's been this for 40 years and he's a monster. And she's been doing this for, for three years. And she's just not really ready to get in that situation. So, and then a lot of times the industry is really fucked because before the internet, there was like the Montreal comedy festival was like the big, the gate, there's all these gatekeepers with the internet and TikTok and Instagram. And what, what it's done for comedy is it's taken away the gatekeepers, which is kind of, which is a good thing because you don't need those three fucking people in comedy. One of them who got me too, Jeff, this guy, Jeff Singer, who was the head of Montreal that got me too, because yeah. he was hitting on all these fucking hot chicks um, and, and saying inappropriate shit. Uh, but so you don't need them to get to that next level. You don't need the quote unquote industry to, you don't need the, you don't need to showcase the Montreal new faces to get a deal. You can get a deal on a fucking TikTok or, or, or whatever. So you can go right to the people, which is good, but then it's overcrowded. And then it's also like, you're also, there's all these tricks involved and some people that are TikTok stars, you're like, fuck. A lot of people can be TikTok stars. Not a lot of people can be comics, right? Great comics, right? So it's another thing. But it used to be that you needed these people and uh, to do well to, to get that that late night spot or the Montreal comedy spot or the development deal. And then if you didn't, if you didn't hit, if they paired you up with a writer and you got like a holding deal with TNT or TBS or whatever, and it and it, it went to one pilot and out. You were out, like you were put on the sidelines, um, or, or or you were done, and then they waited for the next fucking hot chick to pop up, and you go, "Here's our girl again," you know. So it was like this fucking bullshit, you know, puppy mill of hot chicks that were just getting run in there. So the good thing is the internet has taken away that power. The bad part is like I don't know if I even answered your question, but um, there's there's a there's a lot of uh, I don't know. I mean, as far as rape jokes go, I think people just go for like shock value. People, people and they gets it gets a reaction because the, the the reaction you don't want is silence. So a lot of people are like ooh or ah ooh like they they think that's as good of a laugh or they're performing for other comics and other comics are gonna laugh at rape jokes. So so you're gonna be at an open mic and you tell the most disturbing joke about you know killing you know having you know seven abortions on last Tuesday and, and people are like oh that's fucking brilliant and genius. But then you get into a room of people that work for a living and they're horrified or mortified or they're like they're rolling their eyes or they're getting up and leaving. So that's the problem with open mics. Open mics sometimes are like the best and worst part of comedy. It's like a necessary evil in some ways, but you can do a joke that bombs. It's a great joke. Whereas like people that like work for a living would love that joke or normal people or average people or whatever. But you could do a joke that's like so fucked up, but comics are going to laugh. But now you're getting a false sense of like what's going to work for the actual person or you're going up there and like no one's paying attention because you're not doing cocaine with them afterwards. So no one knows who the fuck you are. And now you're just talking to like 12 people who are having conversations the whole time. And you know, you're not, it's just like, you want to quit comedy. So there's like, I, I, I'd rather do comedy in front, like doing comedy in front of comics is like, it's all right. But if, if they're actually like, you know, decent people, they're going to give it to you. The joke's funny, but, but most of the time people, comics are on their phones and, and, I, and I'm, and I'm guilty of this, or they're talking in the back of the room 
and I have to tell them to shut up because this person's on stage and um, or it's, they're just not paying attention. Comics sometimes, a lot of them, a majority of them are the most selfish, self-centered people you've ever met in your life. And there's still great people and I love hanging out with them and I'm funnier with them and my best friends are comics. But goddamn, like some comics are just fucking assholes. I mean, literally someone will die um, and, uh, you know, within two seconds, people are hitting up the booker to get that guy's spot. You know, it, it, it's just fucking crazy. Yeah. And then, so I met George Carlin years ago on a plane. I was going to Colorado. He was really pleasant, a really nice person. Like I loved his jokes, especially like the cat jokes he told, cause I love cats. Yeah. I didn't have the honor of having like rabbits trying to rape each other. Like some people, um, <laughs> <laughs> True story. No, I mean it's it's. An, I've never you hear about those things, but you just never really see it. You know, you know what I mean. I've never owned rabbits, but um. So, so with that said, you have this whole era of cancel culture. Do you find yourself ever like having to tune things around? Like, so I was in an improv troupe before, and I think someone found it offensive. Now, mind you, there was a Jamaican kid in our improv troupe. He was an African-American kid from Jamaica. He talked like this, you know, he really had it. Well, of course he had it down, but I impersonated a Jamaican person in a sketch, which was no big deal. Like no one else really cared. You have an East Indian kid in the troupe is myself. I did the Indian accent as well, that dialect. But someone just complained about it after, you know, we don't really give a shit. We're like, well, we weren't offended. He certainly didn't care. And he's like the only authentic Jamaican in the room. So what difference does it make? So clearly, you know, those like those dialects were off if you weren't that origin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think, yeah. <laughs> Come on, everyone else liked it. I don't know what the problem was. It's ridiculous. But, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I've done Guido accents before. I've not had yet to have a Guido, like a real authentic Guido. Tell me, oh, you can't do that no more. You're making fun of my people. No one's done that. So do you find yourself having to fine tune a lot of material now just to like not? I was at an improv class, too. I got it was like you had to go through the alphabet, A, B, C. And the person was was me versus a girl. And she was like bald. And I said, I love to see. So I said, cunt. Right. And oh. then the teacher got was like, don't you dare use that word in this class. And I'm like, like, okay, this is an improv class. We're all paying to be here. Number number one, none of us getting paid for this class. Wait, where was and it? Which class? Which school? It was like, uh, it was like, I think Second City. Yeah, we had the improv drop-ins. Which year was this? Because we had one obnoxious guy in the class that got up on in an improv scene with me. And all he did is he just, like he tried to stonewall me, but he couldn't because I think he was a stand-up comic cracker. He was a short, ugly guy that was bald that probably never got laid. And we were in a scene together and he just starts calling me all these horrible names. So I just did this whole crying thing just to stonewall him. So there's nowhere yeah. to go. When was this? What year? Uh, this was, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago. It was Oh, okay. Never ago. mind. Okay. Sorry. So he's talking about the improv drop-in classes as well that they have on Wednesdays at Second City. Some people come in from other planets to... You know, well, the got mad at me and I was like, OK, I, I won't use that word in your class anymore. It's your, it's your class. But also, like, why are we stifling creativity? Like, the thing is, is that like the rule of comedy used to be be funny. That was the only rule is that if it's funny, it's funny. And, it, and like some people don't even find it funny, but fuck them. You know, th- we have to try things. Um, I think as far as cancel culture, it has not affected me at all. 
um, I've went the other way of like making it even more offensive because I'm like people that are like, thank you for not afterwards. People are thanking me for not becoming this woke comedian. And I, I, you know, I think that there's like, you know, a place for that. You know, if you're, if I'm seeing a Ted talk on race relations or something and like, yeah, sure. I'd love to hear something about that. But if I'm coming to laugh, you know, the comic has to have room to experiment, try things out. Um, and at the same time, and if you don't, and if people want to leave, they can leave. And, and then if people, if everyone leaves and you know, maybe you're not doing your job. I mean, my job is not to get people to walk out, but it, it's, it's to laugh. And I think that, I think the, the, the problem that is that I've learned, I learned kind of the hard way early was that the Twitter is not a comedy club, you know? So you can't put things on Twitter and expect things to like, not have a blowback because I'm not. That's not my spot. Unless unless it's like I could somehow vex everyone who follows me and be like, okay, this is you just this is not my comedy room. So when you put things on Twitter and you get quote unquote canceled, it sucks, but it's not a comedy room. You know? Um, so save it for a comedy club. And uh then then the issue becomes people coming in with their cameras and taping you and taking shit out of context. And putting it in and that's not fair because you know it's just that's not fair because you're taking 30 seconds you know it's like it's like when i post a clip up of like me versus a heckler or something which and then somebody says something and i i, I put like one joke in like oh this guy had no material i'm like i put up 17 seconds of a clip like how could you judge whether i had no material on on 17 seconds like you don't think i edited that and like it's literally from a cruise ship where I did two and a half hours. I did I did more than that. I did three 30-minute clean shows, different, that's an hour and a half, and four dirty shows. So I did 30 minutes. So I did three and a half hours of different material, you know, but you're gonna take 17 seconds to go, he has no joke. I mean, it's, it's, but that's the thing. It's like, I, I can't, you can kind of, as far as getting people getting canceled, it it doesn't happen at comedy clubs. It, it happens, uh on twitter or on instagram or on facebook and as much as i hate that they're not they're not comedy clubs it's so true and i i call people a cunt all the time like people look at me shocked especially women when i call them a cunt like a total stranger like you're in my way i ride a motorcycle this woman wasn't moving her fucking ass out of my way i'm like you just need to move your ass you fucking cunt and just the look on her face like i said something so dastardly wrong it's like try growing up in the 80s like in cities like new york or chicago or miami people use those words in their fucking sleep for crying out loud it's not that yeah. big a deal now what would you be doing you think if you weren't doing comedy or had the opportunity to ever wrestle and uh i don't know what i'd be doing and probably uh sales or something or something where like some kind of competitive thing where i could just have like a goal and try to sell as much stuff or maybe a teacher you know, because I do, I like, I like coaching. I don't like teaching really, but I like coaching. Coaching is fun. Um, I don't know. I have not, I don't know. I, I've been doing comedy since I was, since I was 19. Uh, yeah. So I've been doing it for 20, 25 years. Uh, and still like, like last night I was trying to get a tape for a late night set. And I like, couldn't remember a word to my joke that I've done a thousand times. Like, the word podium was, I blanked it. I was like, holy fuck. Like I had my kid, my my, my wife, I was like beyond tired. I was like, 
running around all day. I was up at seven in the morning. Like I have excuses for why I, I, I could possibly do it, but I'm like, and then I'm driving home and I'm beating myself up. My wife's trying to make me feel better. And like, I'm like so, I mean, it's still, it's never the thing about what I like about comedy, which is also like crazy about it is that it's never finished. Like it's never like, I mean, I guess you could do a painting and a painting's done and boom, or make a movie is done. But like you could, a joke and like a bit, you could keep evolving it. Um, and then also like you always have to come up with new stuff. Like you always have to keep writing. You always have to like be alert to how you feel. And like once you stop writing, that's really when your comedy kind of ends because you're just doing stuff that you've already done. So like to for force yourself to write as much as I hate like the road because I hate being away from my kid, my daughter um, and my wife. It um like the writing, I write so much. Like I used to do the road and like try to get pussy or whatever, go out and have fun and yada, yada. But now it's like three hours, four hours writing, five hours writing. And like, it's just, that's what's cool. The best is when someone comes up to you after a show. I'm like, holy shit, I love all your new stuff. Like that's, there's nothing better than that for me. Like, dude, I can't believe how much new stuff you have. Because the last thing you want is like, oh, he's good, but it's the same act. And you're like, ugh. So, you know. I got what you're saying. It's just, it's interesting because I, I, I know what you're doing. You're doing comedy. And yeah, you do have to have fresh jokes all the time. And does it ever affect you? Like, I had someone once tell me, oh, well, you should rewrite this part of your one woman show or that part. It's like, no, you don't fucking rewrite it. I mean, you may not be married to the truth 100%, right? Secondly, look at who the source is telling you what needs to be done differently. Secondly, that's like the most important thing. Someone has no fucking background. So like your opinion totally doesn't matter to me. Have you ever found yourself getting really teed off at someone who just has nothing to do with the business, just telling you like how to do your jokes or what? Yeah. To I mean, uh, my wife sometimes like, oh, yeah. she'll be, well, she'll, like she'll, well, not my jokes, but she'll be like, why are you doing this gig? You pay his X amount or what do you do? Like, well, this audition, what are you this audition for? You got to spend time on, 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 and she has like valid points a lot of times, but then I have to tell her like, no, you know, to explain to her, like, I got this gig on the Oxygen channel where it paid, you know, 30 grand or whatever, because I was at this club that was paying me nothing, but the, the lady saw me. And so it's like having to explain that is like hard or it just explaining like, okay, this casting person is casting this short film. And I know that the film kind of sucks, but it's the same casting person for, you know, let's say General Hospital, whatever it is. And you're like, but I want them to see me for this. So that I've been, that sometimes is like hard. Like if A happens and B could happen and C could happen because other people just don't have jobs like that, you know? Um, so uh, as far as jokes go, it's like, yeah, of course. I mean, especially if you do like, like a cruise ship or something, you have, you know, thousands of people coming up to you and telling you like, well, you know, why don't you on starting live or, you know who I find funny or telling you their own joke. It's not even like a joke they wrote. It's a joke from the internet or, um it's yeah that that's the pro that's you know an issue you know um but i i just i just either tune out you learn to either tune out or you just learn to um just go oh yeah just kind of like laugh when you think it like just ignore them but just laugh when the, there's a pause or uh just walk away because it's i mean the worst is when like it used to be like if i had a terrible set and like i'm, I'm like crying on the inside and like you could almost see it on my face. I'm just not a good poker player. 
and people want to come up to you and be like, oh, you know, you know what I think? Or, or, you know, a lot of women get upset by the Jesus jokes. They're like, you know, you do a show in New Orleans. You know, I loved your set, but we don't find jokes about Jesus funny in this, in this part of the town. You're just like, Ugh. you know, and that's always when you're stuck. Like if I'm, if I did a cruise and there was like a, a boat going from like the cruise ship to the island. So you have to get on that boat and then people come up to you. Like, what are you going to do? Jump off the boat? Like there's, there's nowhere to go. And then, if, no. and then, you can yeah. throw people off the ship, though. <laughs> yeah, and if and the thing is, a lot of the people they want you to react in a way where you're like "fuck off," so they have a story or a Yelp review to write or something. So you just have to kind of, oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just don't respond. Give them like one word, one one word answers. Like, oh, thank you. Just say thank you. You know. Did anyone ever tell you that you look like Al Bundy or Te- Al Bundy? Al Bundy. Oh Aaron, wow! Children, Al Bundy, Ed O'Neill. I don't know. But I'm, I guess things are getting worse. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, he actually took some kind of. I met him in LA a few times. He used to. We used to go to the same gym. Um, I was taking JKD somewhere. I don't know. He was taking something along those lines. Jiu-jitsu. Jiu-jitsu. He's like a black belt. No, he yeah, has like some kind of really special belt. So he's a very dangerous man at the same time. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I love him though. I actually watch if you put like like Al Bundy's best insults on YouTube. And he's just doing like fat jokes about people at the shoe store. And it's one after another of just the meanest shit you've ever heard. And it's the funniest thing. You couldn't even do them anymore. Like you can't do any of those jokes on TV. You'd have people fucking rioting outside, but man, they're funny. Like Al Bundy has, dude, that's the kind of career that I want. Like is Al Bundy's career. Oh yeah. Because Ed O'Neill. Cause he played like the most lovable funniest like anti-hero hero for like 15 years it was the same character and he was the best at it like he was the best and then he went on to um play essentially the same character on the, the other one on uh whatever that show was afterwards i never watched it but people uh, loved it, it Mo- modern family Modern family yeah mm-hmm. i mean he basically played two parts but was just the best at it you know and uh yeah al bundy was like to be like a lovable bad guy, and he wasn't a bad guy, but he was a guy that didn't want to fuck his wife, was like a terrible <laughs> parent, like, but he was a great parent, but a terrible parent, like, hate, like, he was a high school superstar, hated his job, hated his neighbors, but essentially was like America's most loved human being. Like, it was essentially like an Archie Bunker of the 80s. But you forgot one important point. He also had the really hot daughter. Oh, yeah, 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 of course. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. How could we not forget, like, Christina Applegate, Kelly Bundy? She was awesome. I mean, there were yeah. so many things I liked about her. I think I like her leather jacket more than anything else in that whole styling. I met, um, what's his name, Dave Faustino, years later at Comic-Con in New York City, which was quite a hoot. Then I saw him at a listening party for an NWA. Um, no, it was a, a party for MC Ren's book. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it was a few years ago and he was there DJing. I'm like, oh, OK. So now we have DJ D, DJ Davey F or whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. He's a guy that like didn't have, I was say he didn't have bad. I don't know what happened to his career, but like he was great as Bud Bundy. I mean, he like you would think that like, uh, man, it just Hollywood sucks because, you know, there's a guy that like also very talented and could have easily went. And just had like another part, another couple parts, like 
just luck, you know? I mean, like, like he could have had a great movie career. I mean, there was not, he, who knows? Maybe, maybe he still will, but uh, it's just a matter of like, you know, he, he's got comedy and timing. Like Bud Bundy was great. He was fucking awesome. I mean, it's a very, it's a very strange thing, but I think nowadays you have to be the CEO of your own branding uh, for sure. And you know that, you know, you've been yeah. doing quite some time, obviously. By the way, I watched the documentary. I, I, one thing I got annoyed about at the, uh, when you had you, when I had you on my show, Which was I, asked you about, I asked you about New Jack. Oh. And you said the guy was a wonderful, he was a horrible person. Uh, I don't care who says anything. He threw off, a, he tased the guy and threw him off a hundred fucking <laughs> He almost, I mean, then he stabbed another guy in oh, the middle of the wrestling ring. Oh, the mass transit incident? No, I watched the dark side of the ring. Oh, yeah. And that. there was a guy that punched him in the face in like a a wrestling. And it was like one of those things where the guy was a little going a little too hard on him. And he took out a, a knife and stabbed him 10 times during the match and got arrested. Uh, <laughs> this guy was like, no. and then there was an old guy that was like 70 years old who his whole thing was like, I'm tough. I'm the toughest guy. And I guess he, he wasn't selling the match. So he beat the living shit out of this old guy. Um, well, he sold it then. What? <laughs> like, if you're not guy. selling, someone will fuck you up. Okay. I gave Missy Hyatt a double concussion once because she showed up in the ring in a pasties and panties match. And she, I don't know if she was high or whatever the fuck she was on, but I took one of my thigh highs off and I started choking the fuck out of her as hard as I could. And that was my way of saying, wake up we're doing this and you have to start selling shit that didn't work fine then i'm gonna kick you in the stomach a few times that doesn't work let me go to your head so it was really bad i felt bad but we're really good friends now so but new jack i mean i was trying to find like redeeming quality but the guy should have been in, in jail for murder attempted murder oh he at had least four times he had eight justifiable homicides he was a bounty hunter <laughs> it's only eight it's not like you and know that was before these incidents I mean, this oh, guy yeah. like threw a guy off a hundred. Uh, that was crazy. Th like this dude was like, oh my God. It's part of the show, but like, you got to look at backstory. No, that, not part with of the, the mass transit incident, that kid was underage and he lied about his age. Then he was like telling New Jack he wanted to go over and that. Yeah, that was, I mean, but still that wasn't was right. That was the father's fault for letting him get in there um yeah at the same time new jack didn't have to do that that was not he could have like like there was no reason for him to beat the shit out of this new kid you know uh it was so, yeah. sad but like vic grimes i see him i saw him at the last xpw show because xpw has shows again so it's you know you wonder you know tasering someone i just think sometimes the business gets to you quite a bit and yeah i get <laughs> i mean <What>? <laughs> No, it does not get to you. The point you do is you have to stab somebody nine times, tase them, and throw them off a fucking hundred. No, it doesn't get to you that way. I'm sorry. That's not the business. That's this guy and people that have employed him. That's crazy. Yeah. I, mean, I yeah. don't know. Yeah, right? It, it, it's a bit much, isn't it? Yes, <laughs> of course. This guy should not have been wrestling. Uh, uh, he didn't. He need, He should have been in jail. I mean, he. that was crazy. That, and he's like, he, I could tell that he was likable and funny. That he, yeah. that, there was something about like very, I could see the the appeal. Like when he was like, 
going about he was like you know my modern day hero oj simpson like right at the height of the oj thing like in the deep south but like the, the dude was uh, i mean hilarious and some i mean but oh my god when he started throwing people he started stabbing people and, and then throwing people off you know roofs i'm like dude this this is not wrestling you know even my stomach turns to this day because with xpw wrestling now like we have the girls are now getting color and these girls some of them are really pretty like camille kind of valkyrie some of these girls that came up from um from mexico and they're really pretty girls and they're gigging like they're getting color in the matches which is taking women's wrestling to a whole other level you What's know color? what does that mean uh they're bleeding mm. and some of these girls like you look at their photos they look like models like fitness models and so forth so i think now the wwe has something to perhaps possibly like try to work towards and these girls aren't doing it like the guys how like schlack and big joe did in this death match when schlack's sock is colored in like bright red i'm like oh he has red socks on oh no fuck that's blood it was really it gets scary at each show but i really yeah, i'm watching a lot of those bio like i mean, take me and my friend go on these road trips to do comedy like four hours five hours so we just throw in like Ric Flair, 30 for 30, or, you know, Roddy Piper and, you know, The Undertaker, man, like, I thought like comics had it rough. I mean, these oh, guys, didn't see, these kids didn't see their, these guys didn't see their kids for like 300 days out of the year. Uh, a lot of them were just beyond like depressed. Uh, a lot of them didn't have any backup. They, they drank Coke, the, um, you know, the, uh, Bring it, can, can, can you charge your phone? Chris Benoit, that was another one. Like he needed, I mean, I hate to say this. I, I like WWE. I think they have a great product, but I feel as though there are times when you have to say to yourself, does Vince McMahon have blood on his hands? Because a lot of these guys take, for instance, again, Chris Benoit, he's there wrestling and wrestling. And, you know, you need time off. Your head is going through injuries so many times. And that one finishing movie had where he basically like landed on his head on someone was a very um it's got to get rough on you at some point you wonder like does your psyches remain the same are you still a logical person can you think with reasoning at that point so when you wrestlers don't have the time off and the resources to get the help they need be it emotional or physical you know who's to blame at the end of the day yeah i mean it's like people people are signing up for wrestling like they knew it. They kind of know what they're getting into. So I can't. I mean, but yeah, it's just watching like the one about the dynamite kid. Ooh, that, that was rough. Yes, I also had no idea. You know, like how I just knew him as dynamite kid. You know, and then you you watch him, and then the drugs and the steroids and this and that, and then the abuse and dragging his wife and. It's not seeing, I mean, I have a little daughter and if I'm away from her for like a week to do comedy, it just, it kills me. I mean, it fucking kills me. Um, and we FaceTime, this is before FaceTime and these people that are out 300 days of the year. And even like guys like Stone Cold Steve Austin was, yeah. he was saying he, his daughter had a British accent and he didn't know when, when she, she like got it because she moved to England and with a fat mom. And he's like, dude, when he's like, he started crying and you're like, man, this is. Or Roddy Piper, who was, he said there were times that they would he'd only see his kid sometimes for months when he was on a layover. 
for 30 minutes at the airport. And you're like, man, at that point, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, to me, it wouldn't be worth it, you know, to not see my daughter for a year, you know, 12, 10 months out of the year. I just, my family, it wouldn't be worth it to me. Um, tough. It's tough. You know, I'm sure. And even if I'm away from my cat for like a week, I get upset. I have yeah, some kind of sick attachment. Of course. Any, you know. Well, he's cute. He has, plus he wears like a little bow tie and he's like, his name's Enzo. He's a Guido kitten. Of course. So yeah, it's like, I guess so I have a stuffed toy cat, but I mean, I like doing my show. Like I like, I didn't write the show for, um, you know, for shits and giggles. Cause it's like a hundred and something pages reduced down to 24 pages for a stage performance of 55 minutes. So, you know, I don't do it for shits and giggles and get up there and in, in front of a bunch of strangers. What the end result is. I have no clue. I just, I just do things. You're only going to live once. Right. And the only thing oh, yeah. you do well, your is life has been like, I, I, can't, I was telling someone about your life and it was just, it was between the, you know, stockbroking and the, the jail and then the stripping and then the porn and then the wrestling and then the, and then the, now you're running for Senator councilman or, or whatever. Uh, the city council I'm not going to, I'm just going to stay. I just stay out of that because it's so stupid and you can't really, you can't reason with lunatics. Um, but by the way, I it's just crazy. Also, I used to have your flyer, like uh, on in Times Square, because I used to get I lived in Times Square, so people would hand me the flash dancing flyer. Oh my uh, god! Or, or or I would see you in the in the in, in like it was the New York Post. Yeah, I want to get those. Like I could use those. Someone is doing a documentary now. I wanted to. The guy who did the White Boy Rick documentary wants to do my documentary. I think he'd be perfect for it. Cause you don't get like an overly feminine touch to it. And if you get the overly feminine touch, it's not going to um, appeal to like everyone else in my fan base. Yeah. Well, there you go. I remember like, cause I lived right across from flash dancers. Like, oh, that's wow. me. So it was, it was nuts. It was crazy. Like, um, yeah, your life has been, you've had like 30 lives. Right. And to think I'm still here. So it's just, you know, I like doing the show. I just have to find an L.A. venue. So if anyone listening knows of a good L.A. venue, because I had shows at Second City pre-pandemic, you know, um, let me know, because I would love to do the show here. I don't want to do it all the time. It's the type of thing where I want to perform it once, like a couple times every few months, like here or there. So I have like New York and Chicago and Boston. So then after that would be obviously I want to come to L.A. and do a show here and maybe like wherever else it's just fun to do i like doing the show because it's fun and it's simple and you have so many people in this whole cancel culture era that uh you know see springer and stern and they get shocked about because it, it has all the audio visuals so it's going to be fun but um so people know where you were to find you and i still have to come to one of your shows yes you a rabbit rape joke at some point <laughs> um let us know where we could find you by the way she keeps saying that because what happened was my daughter and i were at the park and a little bunny was following us around like a white bunny. Look, it looked like a bunny, a, a magic bunny, like a, a magician. So obviously someone dumped it there. So we took it home and then we had now, and then my wife built like a chicken coop for it in the back. And then everyone's like, that bunny's going to get lonely. So we went to the pound to get two other bunnies for that bunny to keep company. But the first one wasn't fixed. So right away, the other ones were. So he's chasing them around all day. And just having sex with them. And my daughter is like crying. And then I was like, oh, they're hugging, which is a joke I wrote. It was like, so she goes to school and her teacher told her to go hug her friends and yada, yada. So anyway, so everyone's like, you have to get that bunny fixed, which 
in LA, it's like an exotic animal. So it's like $500. You get a bunny fixed. So I'm like, no, we'll just give it a lesbian haircut. So he won't want to bang him. But anyway, that's not what happened. Um, yeah. So I had to get the bunnies fixed finally. Cause he was putting like, he was digging his claws into the, the girl's back. And so she had like, she was bleeding. So she had scabs all over her back. So that's why we had to do that. Anyway, uh, I will be opening for Russell Peters August 13th at the Microsoft theater. Um, in LA at the LA live. And then if you go to adamhuntercomedy.com, I'm in Las Vegas at the Tropicana coming up in August. I'm in Dallas uh, at the house of comedy in August. And I got a bunch of uh, other days next week. I'm at sea legs in Huntington beach uh, next Friday night. How long in there? So uh, I will see you. Yeah. I thought that was a cat. Is that a cat? Tail? It is a cat. Oh hi! Yeah, we have we have Carmen. I have, we have three cats, and uh, a dog, and three bunnies. Oh, it's like a whole. Um, she's so little. Yeah, yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Anytime. Stay in touch. Thanks for having me, and I want to come back on your show closer to my show if I can. Yes, and by the way, Journey One, the guy you were on with, Woo! he was upset because he thought you were going to reach out for tickets to him. Yeah, I was out of town, so I couldn't. But I'm, I'm oh, gonna. I but he be, won. I have to see him fight soon. Yes. So thank you very much, and yeah. anytime. Take stay care. Stay funny and stay true, and don't change. <laughs> I will. Thank okay. you. Have Take care, time. Jasmine. Bye. Are you enjoying the ride on my crazy train? Whoo! Please make sure to rate and review Crazy Train Podcast. Take a screenshot, send it to me in a DM via Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, and I will send you a free goodie bag. Oh, and Crazy Train Podcast is now on YouTube. So subscribe, Crazy Train Podcast, that's with a K, on YouTube for video interviews and never heard before interviews and some really cool bonus content. Woo!